1966, the Chicago Bears drafted the son of a Pennsylvania coal miner in the fourth round. Doug Buffon would go on to play 15 seasons for the Bears and later be named one of the 100 greatest Bears of all time. His allegiance to the Bears never waned, even when he took to the microphone and witnessed some horrendous Bears teams. The fact is there's not the fear put into him because this game is a lot about fear. You either do the job or you go home and go sell hamburgers at McDonald's. Doug told it like it is, and that's part of the reason his nephew John has dedicated this show to Doug. Now John Buffone is spreading Buffone-branded beratements just like his uncle. Win the football game. You're the head coach. I don't care what you have your fingers in. I don't care what you're meddling in. You're the head freaking coach. We get it. You're the most important guy on the staff. You don't have to keep trying to legitimize that. And he's got pep talks too. I love this team. And I know everyone watching and listening loves this team. So while we may be pessimistic and cynical... Every one of us still has hope that the stars will align at some point. And if that ever does happen, you'll be glad you stuck around. John is telling it like it is here on Buffone 55. And joining John are Alyssa Barbieri, managing editor of USA Today's NFL Wires, including Bears Wire. And also Danny Shimon, lead game and draft analyst for the Barroom Network. Buckle up and bear down. This is Buffone 55, The John Buffone Show. Hello and welcome to the season finale of Buffone 55. One last fast-paced approach to breaking down the 2023-2024 Chicago Bears. I'm John Buffone and Alyssa has the night off from this show because of course all of the breaking news happens on Wednesday. So she is just rattling off stories on BearsWire.com right now. She's working real hard so she has a night off. And guess who we're bringing on to fill in for her? That old battle axe we call Aldo Gandia. Aldo, the Bodfather. How you doing, buddy? What a crazy, crazy, crazy day. Last week, we said, hey, let's do, you know, a, a look back at the season. And you came up with a fantastic idea, but I didn't realize how much work it was going to be. So I'm editing all day. And all of a sudden, I learned that there's a press conference. And I'm like, holy cow. And then Alyssa can't make it because she's working at Bayswire. And oh, holy cow. So I'm a little flustered, but... That doesn't matter because you're the star of the show and Danny Winnickinson are going to do a great job. Well, see, Aldo, I'm really good at coming up with ideas on what other people should be doing. So, like, oh, you know what video you should do, Aldo? You know what work you should do, Aldo? I'm really good at that. And then throw on the fact that the Bears waited until just today to drop all of the uh, to draft uh, to drop all those news that Eberflus is staying, Getsy's gone. The press conference, Kevin Warren's out there. There is so much to go over. I mean, it's good that we have a show on Wednesday because we can have immediate reaction to it, but we had to basically rewrite everything. So we're just, we're just we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants today. So uh bear with us, uh, no pun intended, but uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a great show. But just in case 
This might be your first time ever listening or watching Buffoon 55. Thank you for tuning in, by the way. Aldo, give us a refresher on how this show works and how it's going to work today. Yeah, today is a little bit different, of course, because Alyssa is not here and because all of the breaking news. We've gone through this before, by the way. You'll see that uh, a little later in, in, the, in the video that we've got for you. But uh, Buffon 55 ha is divided into three segments, but today it'll be basically two. It'll be the B55 segment where John shares his thoughts about the Chicago Bears. I come up with five great questions for John. And then after that, we'll take a quick commercial break. And then when we come back, it'll be Buffon's basement. And Danny and John will talk about all the latest developments over at Hallis Hall. Then we'll play our 18-minute video that looks back at the Chicago Bears 2023 season as seen through the eyes of all the folks at Buffon 55. And then I will join the guys and we'll finish things up by talking about uh, 2023 and then look forward to 2024. There you go, John. What'd you, what do you think? 18. I haven't seen this video yet, so I, I'm just as excited as everybody else to see because it'll be a nice reflection on how dumb I was throughout the season. But it'll also be, uh, I'm excited to see this, and I can't believe you put that much work into it. I, I, I'm I flabbergasted, but I'm excited. So I, I better bring the energy because you spent a lot of time on this show today. So I, I got I to gotta bring it. Uh, you always do. So what are you talking about? So let's yeah. start with our B55 segment. Again, this is where I am asking John five questions. And he's got to answer them within 55 seconds. Now, the 55, of course, is because his uncle, John, uh, Doug Buffone, played linebacker for the Chicago Bears, won number 55, played 15 seasons. John, are you all set? Ready to go? No, I'm as ready as I'm going to be. One last time for the 2023-2024 right. season, I'm ready to go. All right, let's make it a good one. John, you got yourself really, really hyped up for the Week 18 matchup against the Packers. I think it's safe to say you got a lot of viewers amped up as well. Unfortunately, it didn't look like the Bears were very amped up going into that game and throughout the game, and they ended up with a loss to Green Bay of 17-9. to John, how disappointing was that loss to you? Can you put it into words, and can you put it in – 55 seconds. Listen, honestly, it was gut-wrenching. The table was set for this to be a great way to cap off a not-so-great year. The Bears had a little momentum going into this game. It's against the Packers. They had an opportunity to knock Green Bay out of the playoffs, and they could not have looked more uninspired. They scored nine total points. Green Bay didn't punt once during the game. The play calling on both sides of the ball appeared cowardly, and whatever juice you had, going into week 18, was completely lost after that game. No one on the Bears' sideline, player or coach, really looked like they wanted to be there against Green Bay, even though it's your biggest rival and you could have knocked them out of the playoffs. Much like they did in week one, the Bears made Jordan Love look like a Hall of Fame quarterback. It wasn't a slugfest. It wasn't ultra competitive. It was just another game where Green Bay looked like a superior team, and that is devastating to Bears fans. That's 10 straight losses, which doesn't even seem like it can be real, but it is. What an awful... You are not kidding at all that you know we started off with a loss to the green bay packers that was so heartbreaking for me personally because i was really looking forward to the bears taking that next step and then for uh these lo disappointing losses to bookend the season it's just been devastating you know and uh we're all dedicated to our work here uh at the barroom network and with this show and our other bear show but i really 
really could use a week off from from this yeah. disappointment, you know, because every time I think about it, I just get blue. And I know everybody else in the chat room does too. So I really appreciate you coming today. You probably would not have shown up had you not heard that Getsy was out the door. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Like we got ourselves excited for week one because we thought it was going to turn the chapter of the rivalry. This was the, the, we were turning the page where it was Justin Fields and Jordan Love and Justin Fields, you know, was, was, you know, was supposed to be the superior quarterback going into this year and then we get ourselves hyped up for week 18 because you know we can knock green bay out of the playoffs and the bears are showing some you know momentum they're showing improvement and then they just fall flat on really on both sides of the ball just saw like, we're talking about cowardly you know play calling the soft zone why don't you give jordan love a pillow back there he could not have been more comfortable yeah, he was lobbing balls up to throwing off his back foot. It was like he was toying with us during a certain portion of that game. Uh, very disappointing, but let us move on to question number two. So we know all know now that the Bears will retain Matt Eberflus, even though most of the offensive staff was let go today. John, is keeping Flus, in your mind, the right decision as the Bears get ready for year three of this rebuild? Uh, 55 seconds are on the clock. Go. Look, I'm all for continuity, and I understand the process of wanting to stabilize a franchise, but I don't think it's wild to say that I have some serious reservations. The defense did play better, yes, but it took the defensive coordinator abruptly resigning for Matt Eberflus to take the reins, and his offensive coordinator has just as many questions, and he was fired alongside all the other offensive coaches. So I have concerns about his ability to hire a staff, and when he does hire a defensive coordinator, will that guy be calling plays? Will the defense regress to what they were before Eberflus took over? As far as the offensive coordinator goes, what kind of a talent pool will they be choosing from with Eberflus potentially being a lame duck coach next year. And as a head coach, we saw him clam up in big situations where he had double-digit leads late in games and the Bears just handed the game over to their opponents. He's 2-10 and 10 against the NFC North. And they only beat one team with a winning record this year. I think he's a good coordinator, a good football mind. I don't know if I can see him hoisting Lombardi. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> it's funny, you can't buy uh, 1127 says, I guess we just forgot the countless bad decisions, game management blunders, and playing not to lose. And, you know, the, the lack of uh, inspiration. I mean, it is funny, though, that the players seem to be behind Eberflus. Mm -hmm. But, boy, when he talks to us fans in press conferences, and I know Danny has talked about this before, it is not at all inspiring in the least no, and, and listen, I'm not, I don't think that you don't have to be Dan Campbell necessarily, but like because Lovey Smith wasn't that kind of a guy, but he also commanded the respect of the room while he was talking. And you could just, there was a difference there between that calm confidence, has control of everything, and then Eberflus, who kind of just like, okay, I got to look at my notes, make sure I say the right thing. I, oh, I don't know. Did I say the right? Am I going to do the right thing? Did I say the right thing? Like it's, and, and I understand he's still. I'm, I, and I can't, I'm I'm done making this excuse after this year. A second year head coach trying to you know getting getting into the swing of things. I'm I'm once again I'm done with that excuse after this after today. Uh, but you should know how to command respect of the room when you're talking. Yeah. Well, uh, 
Joe is talking about quarterback Justin Fields, and that's a perfect segue to our next question. And it's the most polarizing topic amongst Bears fans. You know that for the next few couple of months at least, Justin Fields is going to be talked about, and Caleb, and blah, blah, blah. And his final press conference uh, with the Chicago Bears for the 2023 season, he essentially said goodbye to the Bears fans just in case that was his last game in a Bears uniform. This conversation, as is again going to happen over the next upcoming weeks, how do you see this Justin Fields situation finally coming out? So I'm glad you asked this question the way that you did because everyone on Twitter knows what the Bears should do. And if you don't agree with them, you're an idiot and you don't know football. But look, the Bears aren't <laughs> coming to me anytime soon or anyone else on social media anytime soon for roster tips. So I'm just going to talk about what they could do given the circumstances. With Flus coming back, I think that's a slightly good sign in the Justin Fields staying category. But with Getzy gone, I think that could be a strike against the Justin Fields staying camp. I'm sure Ryan Poles and Kevin Warren are aware of the Bears' past mistakes and do not want to repeat them. We saw the Bears draft Trubisky with a lame duck John Fox. We saw them draft Fields with a lame duck uh, Matt Nagy. If they're going to start over with a new quarterback, they need to make sure everyone is on the same timeline. And at the very least, bring in a seasoned, accomplished offensive coordinator that doesn't necessarily have head coaching aspirations in the near future, but he can develop a quarterback and he won't jump ship. So really, I don't know, because when you keep Eberflus, you're keeping that consistency and you think they might bring they might keep the quarterback, but it's going to be a whole new offensive system next year anyway. So mm-hmm. I, I, I honestly do not know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's what's interesting is in the chat room, it's a perfect microcosm of what's going to happen over the next few months regarding yeah. these big decisions with fields and, and so forth. I personally think that your approach to this is a healthy one for all of us fans should probably not all of us, but uh, many of us should probably you know, just sit back and let the decision makers make the decision and let's spend some time it. with the family and stuff like that. Listen, Aldo, I none of us are gonna control it. I don't you I could I can type in all caps on Twitter for the next 10 days. It's not gonna make a difference on what Ryan Poles does. So I'm gonna I'm gonna just have to look sit back and watch and see how it develops. Uh and there's people that are convinced he's staying, there's people that are completely convinced that he's gone. So uh I, I I don't know, and I'm not going to pretend like I know, but I am going to be very interested because this could go, honestly, how, how long could this stretch out? Up to past the combine? Yeah, absolutely. And and because they because they don't have to trade the pick until I knew I mean you know a day before the draft if they don't want to if they don't want to if they want to trade down they can wait they can let people sweat it out or if they're going to trade fields when do they have to pick up his fifth year option is it May it's immediately after the draft yeah yeah so it's in May so they I mean they could I mean they could trade fields in April or they could trade them in, in March so we we really don't know. Uh, and we, I mean, once again, we don't even know who the offensive coordinator is going to be. That could have a big impact on this as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, from a strategic standpoint, you know, I haven't really given much thought as to when's the best, what's the best timetable. If you're going to do this, then when should you do it? Uh, but because you want to try to maximize the most you can, whether it's a trade for Justin Fields or whether it's uh, added draft assets by trading that number one overall pick. So that's something I'll be giving some thought to because I just can't help myself. Sure. <laughs> John, I got to worry about this stuff. Well, I, I, I have to think that the new offensive coordinator is going to have some in, input on this because I would hope like, so. 
because they're not hiring a new head coach, but the head coach really isn't an offensive guy. So when you bring in this new offensive coordinator, he's probably going to say, and I don't think, and I don't know if Brian Poles and Matt Eberflus is going to say, hey, we're hiring you. You have to keep Justin Fields or, hey, we're hiring you. We're taking Caleb Williams number one overall. I don't know if they're going to do that. They're probably going to have these conversations and say, what's your best approach to this? And what's, what's going to, because what, then you limit who you can actually hire. You're already limiting who you can hire because you don't know if it's going to be a lame duck coach. And then you're going to even shrink that pool more by saying you have to use this quarterback. And then now your candidates have shrunk even more. So I, I have to imagine that uh, they're going to have to get the input from whoever they hire, whether it, and, and like I said before, and I'm sure we'll have this conversation later on in the show, a guy that is, it is going to stick around for a little while and can develop a quarterback. It just, that's, I think that's who it's got to be. Exactly. Exactly. Don't make the same mistake you made with Luke Etsy, which is trying to make a athletic quarterback, uh, Aaron Rodgers. It's not well, a good idea. It's not forward we, thinking. We talk about timelines a lot, but we, there was no established person that they brought in with the, the first time GM, first time head coach, First-time offensive coordinator, first-time play caller. There wasn't an established person to be, you know, like the old guard in that room. Really, everyone mm-hmm. was everyone was there for the first time, and so they weren't really sure how to handle it. And, and Getsy was in over his head. Yeah, that's uh, about as simple as anyone can make it. All right, question number four. So let's take some inventory from this past season. Although it was a frustrating year, there were of course some bright spots. And John, you know, by, by the way, my video is going to really focus in on the negative spots. But uh, anyways, right. John, in 55 seconds, can you please give me your Bears offensive most valuable uh, most valuable player and your defensive MVP? You got 55 seconds. Clock has started. Well, let's start with the offensive side of the ball. And for me, it's DJ Moore. This guy comes in here, racks up 96 catches for 1,364 yards and eight touchdowns. And just for comparison, the number one receiver for the Bears last year was Cole Komet, who caught 50 balls for 544 yards and seven touchdowns. DJ Moore doubled that production in receptions and yards. He added a dimension to the Bears offense that it hadn't had in a while and showed that he could take over a game. Against the Commanders, he had 10 catches for 230 uh, 230 yards and like three touchdowns. So for me, it's got to be DJ Moore. On defense, you have some good candidates. TJ Edwards with 155 total tackles. Montez Sweat completely changed the attitude of the defense once they traded for him, racking up six sacks in nine games. But for me, it's Jalen Johnson. He emerged as one of the top corners in the league this year, racked up four interceptions, one for a touchdown, probably could have had a couple more. Uh, he made his presence felt throughout the year, and he set a good example for Kyler Gordon and Tyreek Stevenson. I love your responses to that. And let's uh, maybe when Danny uh, comes in, maybe the three of us can, uh, uh, Danny and myself can share our MVPs as well. So we'll table this discussion and move on to question number five. Okay. Sure. That sounds great. All righty. This episode, by the way, John, if you didn't know, (laughs) concludes seven years of the Fallen 55 and the Barroom Network. Wow. Uh, there hasn't been too much success from the Bears. You're, you're not a bad luck child, right? <laughs> we had one. one good year. <laughs> That's right. We do always seem to have a lot of fun on Wednesday night. So forget the clock here. John, let us know what these 70 years of Buffon 55 have meant to you. 
Oh, wow. You know, it's pretty wild that we have been doing this show for seven years. We started when John Fox was the head coach and Mike Glennon was the big time free agent signing. Uh, We've gone from recording a 45 minute audio only show on Skype to broadcasting a live video show on multiple platforms. Uh, We've seen new segments, new members of the team, new guests. But one thing that has remained the same throughout these seven years is the bar flies in the chat room and on social media. When we first started, I thought it was amazing that people actually listened to a show that I hosted. And to this day, I still find it amazing. So (laughs) I just want to say thank you to everyone who has ever listened to this show, whether you've been here all seven years or just one episode. We put a lot of work into this show because we believe our viewers deserve a high quality, well-produced Bears podcast. So Here's the seven years and a bright future for the Bears, the barroom, and the barflies. That'll do it for the B55 segment. After this message, we'll talk more Bears with the barroom's lead analyst, Danny Shimon. Have you ever wondered what it's like to be a quarterback in the NFL? I have. The quarterback position is arguably the most difficult position in all of sports due to its physical and mental nature. Join me by watching me on this channel on my journey to become an NFL quarterback. The best Chicago Bears content anywhere. Catch Nomad Live pregame one hour prior to kickoff and Nomad at night postgame. And every Friday evening at 7 p.m. Central on all the most popular streaming platforms. And only on the Nomad Network. Welcome back to Buffone 55. This is the Buffone's basement segment when we uh, bring on Danny Shimon, the barroom's lead analyst. Danny, we got a lot of stuff to go over. How are you feeling after week 18? Something happened today? Uh, was there some news made today out of Palestine? I don't know. I, I stayed off of social media. I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's good. That's a good point. <laughs> that would be healthy, but you yes. know, we, we, we just can't do that. So Danny, we got so much to go over. So I just want to jump right into it, you know, <laughs> because I want to put together an 18 minute movie on the Bears 2023 season uh, seen through the eyes of this show. But before we get to that, we obviously got to talk about what transpired today at Hallis Hall. So Regarding Matt Eberflus, here's what Ryan Pohl said about his head coach today. 
Coach Flus, his leadership through hard times. Um, we had some adversity early in the season, in the middle of the season. Uh, his ability to stand strong and, and keep the team together was incredible. Um, he, his ability to adapt and adjust as we went along, you know, he had sudden change in terms of his role. And I thought we benefited from that. I thought we got better from that point. And I'm really happy for him. Now, Danny, looking at it through the lens of the players responding positively to Eberflus and his ha- handling of adverse situations, which, by the way, who created that adversity? Exactly. Uh, anyway, uh, does, that, does that help you make better sense of uh, Matt Eberflus returning to it for his third year? No, uh, no, not really, John. I mean, I mean, I, as everyone knows, as you guys all know, I've 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 been on the fire Matt Eberflus, uh, you know, bandwagon for for most of the season here, and and again, and you know, I, my head told me they they weren't going to do it, they're not going to do it, and but my heart said, you know, maybe just maybe the Bears are are going to make a change and they're actually going to play in the in the big boy pond and and actually you know be a big boy team and and make a play for a Jim Harbaugh or a Mike Vrabel an established you know head coach because Kevin Warren last week was talking about hey it's not just about 2024 that when you sit down after the season they're going to look at in the next five years and there's no way you can feel comfortable with Matt Eberflus being your head coach and leading you for the next five seasons so you know and then, and then both Ryan Poles and Kevin Warren today put Matt Eberflus on on the clock basically saying that they expect to compete next next season um, expect more wins and they expect to either at least you know if not compete for division at least compete for a playoff spot so you've already told basically the whole world that Matt Eberflus is is on a you know make or break one year trial here next year you know and now you have to he has to go out and hire basically a whole new offensive staff so I, I just it just doesn't make sense again the Bears just don't do things the proper way they don't they don't line things up you know, the way this should be, you know, if you're going to make this change where you're going to get rid of the, basically the, you know, half, you know, the whole offensive staff, and then you're going to, you know, he's in, he's a defensive coordinator. There's a couple other coaches left last year for some reason, you know, he's lost 10 coaches over the last two seasons, right? So he's got to replace 10 of his original hires. So, I mean, now he's got to go out there and, and everyone who's, he's going to bring in, like you said, in your perform 55 rant, John, you know, who is he going to attract there? He's basically going to be guys that are out of out of the league looking for a job. You know, he's going to be picking from the, from the scrap heap in, in terms of, you know, offensive play callers and coaches because everyone knows if they don't win next year, they're all out. So I, I just I just don't see the, the, the logic in terms of bringing them back. Even if they did improve, the defense got better. The defense was still not great. They blew two three games with double-digit leads in the fourth quarter. That Green Bay game, that defense, could they gave up 17 points, should have been 20. But the Packers did not punt, not even once in that game. They couldn't get off the football field. So what's so great about him? You couldn't get another defensive coordinator here to come in and run a 4-3 scheme and be able to take that talent that you have amassed there on defense, add some more to it, and, and be a good defense next year? I just do not see why you bring this guy back. Yeah, it felt like if they if the Bears were ever going to take a home run swing, that this could have been the time to do it, to go after a Jim Harbaugh, to bring in a Mike Brable, to, to, to bring in a name that was going, uh, you know, go big. Because, the I mean, as far as coaches go, I mean, the, I don't know if they ever do swing big. They tried to be the smartest guys in the room when they got Tressman, and then they tried to stabilize themselves with John Fox, and then they try to go, you know, the, the genius route with Matt Nagy. It's like they never go out and get that one guy that's just like, that's a, that's a, that's a home run hire right there. And it just – uh, it's, it's, it hasn't happened yet. So, nope. uh, t- it's, 
it, like you said, it, it's it's almost hamstringing like who you could bring in for the offensive coordinator. We can talk when when we talk about this uh, when Aldo comes back onto the show. We can talk about some potential names for offensive coordinator who could potentially uh, be step into that role, uh, and, and we can see uh, what they could potentially do with this offense. But uh, I do want to kind of switch to the benefits of they did get rid of Luke Getze, which was one step in the right direction. I'm sure most Bears fans would agree with that. But what what are the benefits uh, to the Bears, obviously, of getting rid of Getze? And then what did he do wrong to get on your bad side and probably the bad side of about 10 million other Bears fans? It, it just with, with Getze, again, you know, you, you touch on it again in, in your Buffon 55 rant, John. You know, it's it's a first-time GM hiring a first-time head coach, hiring a first-time play caller. And Luke Getze, you know, coming to, into Chicago had never called – Offensive plays before. I mean, I mean, I know Matt, uh, Matt Lafleur gave him, I believe, a preseason game to, to call plays, and that was it. That was basically his, his experience. He had some games at, at Mississippi State where he coached there and may have called some plays there as well. But again, he was not a guy that was that was, you know, proficient in terms of calling plays at, at the NFL level. And you bring it and you give him Justin Fields and, and you give him basically nothing that first season. You know, comes in and, and tries to implement his system. He's not a guy that's that's innovative, right? He doesn't he doesn't create a, a system. He hasn't created a system. He comes in and he's got, oh, I know this system right here. And I'm going to take player A, player B, player C and plug him into the system. And then typically what would happen with we'll Getty this year is Got a little bit more talent with, with DJ Moore. Cole Komet stepped up. You know, Justin made some improvements. And you saw those first 15 or 20 plays when he scripted them. The Bears would come on, and usually they had successful first drives, right? But then once the, once he was out of that that 15 or 20 play bag, you know, it, it was it was crapshoot. It was like playing mad. It was like flipping through the script and, oh, let's go with this play. Oh, you know, we practice this play uh, Friday in goal line. This looks like it, it might work here. Let's put a tight end under center and go for one yard or, or toss it out to the outside. For when you're game, when you you don't need to do all that, I got cute, got weird, um, and he was just a guy. I, I believe that he was just overmatched. I mean, he came in as as a heralded receivers coach with the, with the Packers, so I think that's probably more of his lane. But again, he just didn't seem to to be able to kind of forecast in terms of what the defense was doing, make in game adjustments. You know, again, once he's got out of his first 15 and 20 scripted plays. It was a wild, wild west for him, and and whatever play he picked, he became predictable. You know, the, a lot of defenders were saying, you know, that the Bears, you know, became predictable in terms of their play calls. You know, multiple, you know, screen passes, you know, jet sweeps a couple times. Uh, you know, and then you know, players just knew what what was coming. And and then the, the Bears offense was not, you know, taking shots down the field. We heard players, multiple players, saying that they were playing, you know, kind of scared. And I, I think I think it was more. You know, they kind of they kind of put a general, you know, like a theme out there in terms of we were just playing scared, but I think they were just kind of putting the finger at Getsy saying he was coaching scared. And, and I think you saw some of that conservative thing kind of hurt him at, you know, in a couple of the games where they just, just shut down the, the, the defense offense got bogged down, couldn't move the football and the bears ended up losing some of those games. So I think bringing in someone else gets you at the goal. I mean, whether Iberflus stays or goes that we can debate that. And like I said, I'm, I'm on that get rid of everybody train, but Gets he had to go. And I think now it's the only thing is what can Matt Aberflus bring in here knowing everyone knows that he's on a one-year, you know, prove it or or you're gone too, uh, you know, contract. So, Danny, you're saying you don't like Cole Komet under center on third and one? Uh, Not when you have a 6'3", 230-pound quarterback that can just push it up and get a first down, or you have a 230-pound running back and get you you easy first downs. No, I don't don't like that. What's incredible is that it didn't work the first time, and so they tried it a couple more times throughout the (laughs) year. And they tried it with Robert Tunyon, who's a a much smaller body than than, than Cole Komet, and it didn't work either. 
Well, whenever you got your, you know, your kick returner trying to block Rashawn Gary in the last game, uh, <laughs> in the last games, they, anyone can block anyone in this system, apparently. Uh, but and then and then you just and then you throw the same bubble screen nine times. It, it, it would, uh, it, it's a personnel packages. For- a great point there, John. The personnel packages that he would insert in the game as at critical points in the game. You'd see there's I I believe I don't know if it was the Atlanta game or if it was the Green Bay game where there was one point where DJ Moore and Cole Komet were out of the out of the uh, out of the lineup and he had Trent Taylor, uh, Robert Tanyan, and I, I believe St. Brown in there on, on a critical third down. It's like dude, like bring your playmakers in here to try and and, and make plays. And I I went back and I kind of looked half, half of that game. I couldn't do the full game that Packers game, the all twenty two. And really there was no room for the Bears to for Justin Fields to get rid of the football. The offensive line was overmatched and he hit. He didn't. He wasn't able to overcompensate for that and find ways to get his best players in position to make plays. Absolutely. And so, we you, you mentioned Justin Fields. So I want to I want to talk about him. But uh, Danny, here's what uh, Ryan Poles said about Justin Fields and his future with the team. Um, I did think Justin got better. Um, I think he can lead this team. Um, but at the same time, there's a unique situation where I have to look, and our staff has to look at everything. Um, and that's exactly what we're going to do. And that's the same with free agency. We're going to, uh, you know, look at our free agents, get with my personnel staff, do evaluations, and again, make the, the best decision we can for this organization to take the next step. But I'm really proud of where we are and where we're going. Uh, came up a little bit short of our goals this year, uh, but I have no doubt in where this team is going. So, Danny, with that being said, and despite the issues with Getze, who I'm guessing is probably going to end up with, you know, Aaron Rodgers in New York next year, just because he likes to bring his buddies in with his with his team. But uh, what did you see of Justin Fields that gives you pause and what gives you hope moving forward? Well, everyone knows here. I'm 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 a huge Justin Fields fan. I'm a, I'm a backer of the kid. I mean, the the, the whole part is is just the electric uh, plays, the ability to to break tackles, and, and you know you make plays with his legs. What he got what got better on this year, or actually, actually especially if they came back from that injury, was his. I think his pocket presence got better, right? I think his ability to kind of step up in the pocket, climb the ladder, get still look downfield, not tuck it and run, not using his first instinct and, and just get out there, get out, gather and run. He was looking for receivers downfield. We saw him escape pressure. But continue looking downfield and making plays. Obviously, the interception numbers went down second half of, of, of the of the season as well. And and then sacks, you know, this this past game against Green Bay was was pretty bad. He took five, five sacks, but that, that wasn't all on him. I think that was just the offensive line getting overwhelmed. But the, but general overall, once he got back, I think the sack numbers you know got better. Uh, so I think his pocket presence got better. Now, what gives me pause in terms of his next level, something that I talked about beginning this year is is his play speed, the play clock in his head. That's got to speed up, right? That's got to be again. You know, pre-snap, you got to take a look and see what the defense is doing, how they're lined up, right? Post-snap, see how they adjust. Is that safety coming down? Is that safety staying up? And now have a, a play, a quick reaction play to be able to get yourself out of that. You know, get a positive, you know, play. Don't t- don't sit there holding the ball, uh, tapping the ball in, in in the pocket. So his play speed, his play clock's got to got to you know get quicker. I would like to see him kind of speed up his uh, release point as well, get a little bit faster, uh, and again, faster getting rid of the football. So those are some things I think you can coach him up and get better. But again, he's only 24 years old. He hasn't hit his ceiling. I think we've talked about his off-the-field intangibles. He's got that it's factor. The teammates will run through a wall for him. Obviously, management, you know, um, sees what how everyone rallies to him. The fans were chanting, you know, we want fields. So this kid is beloved, you know, and, and uh, you know, 
not only by the fans, but also by his teammates inside the locker room, defensive players, offensive players. There are some things he needs to work on, but I think if you get in a coach here that can coach up quarterbacks, that can get things better, and, and, and not like a Lugetsi, I think Fields, again, 24 years old, hasn't hit his ceiling. He's still room to grow and still can become that, that leader uh, that the Bears are looking for on offense. You know, with a lot of the uh, coaches, the offensive coaches being let go today, uh, Joe brings up an interesting question here in the chat room. He says, O-line really has struggled for the last two years. Danny, are you surprised they kept Simo, which would be Chris Morgan, the offensive line coach? He's one of the ones that they are retaining. Uh, why do you think that they chose to, to bring him back? I, I think as as overall unit, Joe, I think that the talent of the, of the unit wasn't great last year, right? I think this year they got off to a slow start because the offense really was uh, was was you know, out of whack. Beginning of those first four games, you know, we did a couple you know film breakdowns here where you saw offensive linemen not sure who to block. You saw two guys, two Bears blockers blocking each other at one point. That was that was pretty embarrassing. Uh, I wonder if that's in the eighteen minute uh, Aldo uh, reel who we have here later on today. So, uh, but I mean, it, it, I think this the offensive line just didn't have talent. They were confused early on. But I think we see some development here, right? We saw Braxton Jones, right? I think Paul singled him out as well. He sees that he, he claimed that Braxton Jones is a starting left tackle in the NFL, and, and I tend to agree with him. Can he get better? Can he get stronger? Sure. He also mentioned that Braxton Jones has been working with Olin Crute, so that's a, that's a good thing there as well to kind of help him anchor and be better against his bull rushers. And that's where Braxton Jones gets you know gets beat a lot. So I think you have you know Braxton Jones there. You saw him get better. We talked about Tevin Jenkins. You know, as as long as he can stay healthy, Tevin Jenkins was probably one of the better the offensive lineman for the Bears this all season. He had a rough game against Green Bay, but again, he's the guy that that if he can stay healthy, you know, he, he's getting better, right? Uh, Nate Davis, the free agent guy, came in a uh, little bit of a, a rocky season for him, uh, and then Darnell Wright, you know, a rookie started uh, every game this year as a rookie. Obviously, he's a guy that's still raw in terms of his technique. Uh, Pulse touch on it as well, but he's a guy who started 17 games, had some rough patches there, but also, you know, I, th I thought competed well for a right tackle. So you got some young guys that are developing under Seymour, and I think they wanted to continue that that continuity there with with that staff. And then now, hopefully, they'll, they'll infuse some more players here, whether it's a veteran center or or draft a couple more guys. They got to fortify the inside, the interior of the offensive line. I think now you have a, a unit that can go on a week in and week out and compete and give your quarterback a chance. All right, Danny, it is time. The moment we've been waiting for all week, the unveiling of this Buffon 55 movie, apparently. I, I don't know if Aldo is going to uh, enter it in any kind of independent film festival because it's about as long enough to be in one. But we are going to take a look back at the Bears 2023 season through the eyes of us on Buffon 55. Get and afterwards, Yeah, get, yeah. Strap in, everybody. It's going to be a fun ride. Afterwards, we'll bring in Aldo and discuss 2023 and look ahead to 2024. Alyssa, week one is here. Can you believe it? We get real, honest to goodness, regular season football. I have the Bears at nine and eight. Danny has them at nine and eight and Alyssa at eight and nine. I think you're going to see a big step this season. I expect them to be in the hunt and contend. For the playoffs but i don't necessarily expect them to make it this season for me it goes back to the offense and defensive lines this offensive line this revamp offensive line does what we think it should do and and for me it's it's just you know give justin fields enough time but but you know but dominate in terms of as a run blocking unit and then defensively you got to improve that run defense there's a real route there to to anywhere between eight and ten wins there's a real route there there's love going end zone caught Dobbs touchdown green bay love Aaron jones he walks in for the touchdown love looking to throw a fade for a shot it is caught for the touchdown 
field, stands in, delivers, intercepted, Quay Walker's got it, looking for blocks, Walker still on his feet, Walker still going, looking for the end zone, Quay Walker is in, touchdown! The Packers come in and dominate the Bears yet again. New season, same result. Look, I know you aren't supposed to make up your mind on a team in week one, but that was absolutely pathetic. It looked like nothing changed at all. They couldn't run the ball. They couldn't pass the ball. The defense was getting picked apart. They made Jordan Love look like a Hall of Famer. The play calling was suspect, and even special teams looked flimsy. We were supposed to see improvement. We didn't expect a Super Bowl roster, but something was supposed to look better because you only get so many chances to prove that something is going to be different against your biggest rival who's been kicking your ass for 30 years and now the national narrative is the Packers remain stable and the Bears remain a mess third and long Mayfield off his back foot once Mike Evans Mike Evans touchdown Tampa fields well protected heaves in zone it's Claypool he threaded it through touchdown Chicago out of his own end zone intercepted by Seth Barrett the goal line for a pick six that just might seal the deal for Tampa. We were going to talk about that 12-game losing streak, but as they say in the news business, Aldo, something else kind of buried the lead. A couple things buried the lead today in Hallis Hall. Allen Williams has resigned as defensive coordinator of the Chicago Bears. It was a bizarre day at Hallis Hall. Justin Fields' comments were a lightning rod across the country. I felt like I was kind of robotic. Braxton Jones got put on IRR. And for those that just can't get enough Bears news, Nate Peterman was released today, which of course led people talking about Tyson Patience. Uh, in terms of Allen Williams, honestly, guys, I've, you know, just strictly as a defensive coordinator, strictly in terms of what he does on Sundays, I've been a critic of him since last year. On the field, I think they only have a chance to get better, to be honest with you. 11th play of the drive, Mahomes walking end zone. There it is, a touchdown to Kelsey. It's pretty amazing that a team season can actually be over in week four. But that's how it feels after the Bears got embarrassed by the Chiefs and fall to 0-3. How are you doing? I feel nothing. I feel empty. I feel hollow. If not for Taylor Swift, how do I get through that game? Holy crap, are they back. And I'm going to say something here, guys, that that you guys probably won't believe. You might laugh at me. People in the chat are probably going to go crazy when I say this. But I, I saw some positives from Justin in terms of what he does or, or his pocket presence and him uh, actually maneuvering in the pocket. Play of the drive, first down and 10. Fields was looking deep. He's going to take a shot. Downfield, he's got a man more. Was he in? No signal yet. Touchdown! Second and seven. Fields wide open is Komet. Touchdown, Bears! Play fake. Fields rolling right. He's going to turn it up or is he going to throw it? He does! Touchdown! Number two for Cole Komet! Team. Santos' career long is 55 yards. Pressure coming. Fields over the middle. Intercepted! Picked off by Jackson and he goes to the ground! And the Broncos will escape with their first win of the year. And Matt Eberflus is going to have to answer a lot of tough questions after this game. Um, Time is a flat circle. It's nothing (laughs) but pain. Somehow the NFL script writers have screwed the Bears this year. I don't know how the Bears managed to top last week's blowout. But like the fact that 
you know, they had us for three quarters. We were hopeful for three quarters and then they ripped it away. This game took us to another depth of hopelessness that I didn't even know existed. What this told us was your quarterback can have a career day statistically, throw for more yards than he ever has, set the franchise record for consecutive completions, throw four touchdowns. DJ Moore can have his best game of the year. Your running back can rush for over 100 yards and you're still going to find a way to lose. And the quarterback played a significant role in that. There's no denying the impact of Fields fumbling and getting it taken back for a touchdown and the late interception. But outside the quarterback, they're unable to convert on fourth and one. The defense is still soft. The coaching decisions, very suspect. This team has to play an absolute perfect game to win. The margin of error is almost nothing. And that game just reinforced it. Four-man rush again. Fields to the end zone. More touchdown. Fields. To the end zone, reaching up, does he make the catch again? D.J. Moore, touchdown. Pass is pulled in by Moore, gets free. Washington gambles and lose the gamble that time. 56 yards, touchdown. I am so glad that they got a win while you were there. Got a win for me on my birthday. Got a win in honor of Dick Buckus. This is weird. I'm like smiling like way too much for yeah. one of our weird. shows. Weird. And it's, I know I get it. They're one and four, but still, we're, it's, it's a win. We haven't had it for a long time. What excited me, John, was something we've been talking about, you and I and Alyssa, and also with Coach T on a postgame show, is, is that right side, the combination of Nate Davis and Darnell Wright, you know, people movers. You know, they might struggle here and there with some pass pro, but, you know, these are guys as a, as a run blockers can move guys off the line of scrimmage. And we saw some big chunks of runs there as Killer Herbert got behind those two big boys and got, you know, yards and got into the secondary of, of, the, of the commander. So I think that was exciting. But a trade that ultimately didn't work out was the one the Bears made for Chase Claypool last year. Well, it's one of the biggest trade blunders in recent Bears history. So after sending a second round pick to Pittsburgh last November, the disgruntled receiver was sent off to Miami for a late round pick swap a day after the Bears win against the Commanders. He's got time, and now the pressure gets to him. He tried to flip it last second, but I think they're going to say he's down. And Tyson Bajan, the rookie, coming off. Coming up on the two-minute warning. Bajan lets it fly, but it's a duck, and it's intercepted. Byron Murphy picked it off. It was just the same song and dance. This team, this coaching staff, this franchise is just consistently inconsistent. From the two, Foreman up the middle, backing his way in. That's a touchdown. Agent to give to Foreman. Foreman plowing into the end zone for a Chicago touchdown. Agent with time, throws it short. Foreman with the catch. Foreman to the end zone for the touchdown. And the first career touchdown pass for Tyson Bajant. Boyer's long pass of the day is 15 yards, and it's intercepted. Picked off by Jalen Johnson. Johnson untouched for the touchdown. The biggest storyline to come out of this game was rookie quarterback Tyson Bajan winning his first NFL start. The undrafted free agent went 21 of 29 for 162 yards with a touchdown and most importantly, no turnovers. I like the fact that he spread the ball around and he got the ball to uh, multiple receivers. I believe it was six or seven receivers touched the football. So I think that's something that we have not seen with Justin. Uh, the one thing that clearly stands out, something that I, I called out you know, going into last week was his quick release. You saw the quick game was there. 
The defense got stops, the running game moved the change, and Bajant made some nice throws. Seemingly, he went through his progressions pretty well, and uh, he had a very efficient game for an undrafted rookie whose last start was in Division Two. at midfield we were due for another shot of reality here in the bar room and boy did we get it with that ugly friggin loss to the chargers on sunday night throw in some trade deadline drama and another coach is gone and well who has time to talk about the saints it, it's really sad too because i don't like feeling like this as a fan i'm like oh my god we're not even halfway through yet i'm like it, it sucks that like i'm like oh man i'm looking forward to the end of the season because I don't want to be like that. As, as for the sweat deal, of course you have a little heartburn over what happened last year with the Chase Claypool trade. As of right now, I think the Bears traded away the 35th overall pick for Montez Sweat. Good player. Good football player. A guy that plays uh, the, the run as well as he plays as, as a pass rusher. Uh, I've been harping on the Bears defensive ends not being sound versus the run, not setting a hard edge. Well, that's going to change with Montez Sweat. This guy is 6'6", 275 plus pounds chiseled frame uh he plays the run he's stout at the at the point of attack uh and, and he's a guy to get after the quarterback you got a lot of heft in the backfield with Taysom hill and jamal williams while wow, saunders ran around hill finds a wide open johnson for a touchdown bajan steps up over the middle intercepted again and that's a debo again his second of the day and the third pick by Tyson Bajans. Give it to Foreman. And he's in. Deontay Foreman takes it into the touchdown for Eddie Pinheiro. Pinheiro's kick is no good. But they've got enough pieces on defense to be a threat in a lot of the games they play. Third and seven, and that's going to cement it. Goff launches, got a man, end zone, touchdown! Launches deep, got Scott out there, and it's incomplete! It's Montgomery, and the former Bear has given the Lions the lead! Back in the game, Gordon went back to the sideline, Brisker's over there too, end zone, Hawkinson, touchdown! Field steps through. We'll try to get it with his legs. Balls out. Another field turnover. Metellus knocked this one out. And the Vikings have it. We get a three-point attempt. Here is a dangerous throw. And they... Well, that was just a 26-yard punt. Fields finds more spinning catch. Fields lets it go. DJ Moore. Has it down inside the 15. Play clock at four. Good snap. Good hold. Good kick. Bears are back on top with 10 seconds to go. The Bears currently sit at four and eight, and Matt Eberflus got his first ever win against an NFC North team. Do you think that this win changed the trajectory of Eberflus's future with the Bears? 
55 seconds are on the clock. Eh, not really. I'm staying steadfast that I know what I would do, but I don't think Ryan Poles knows what he's going to do yet. That was a good win for the team, but they did only manage, you know, 12 points after creating four takeaways. And John, Alyssa, I tried. I tried to be a good analyst, try to break it down, look at the numbers, look at the, the way the team's been playing. I just can't bring back Matt Eberflus. I'm sorry. I mean, yeah, has defense improved? Yes. I, I, I mean, honest, it couldn't get worse than last year, right? So it's gotten better. Uh, but again, you know, we, we talked about earlier, I, you guys were talking about earlier about the Bears being in the hunt in, in, in that group. <laughs> you, know, you know, they're four and eight. They should be six and six if Matt Eberflus's team does not blow two late double digit fourth quarter leads versus Denver at home. And versus the Lions, the last time they played the Lions, they're up by, by 12 points with, I believe, less than four minutes left. DJ Moore has only run the ball one time this year. He's going to fake it to Fields and run it for a second time this year. And he's into the end zone. And he got the jump. It's a free play. Fields for Moore. Got him. Touchdown. Bears lead. Look at the relief on that man's face. First time winning back-to-back -back games as Bears head coach. Once again, they were up uh, 12 points late in the game. And like most of the year, we're waiting for the big mistake. We're waiting for the other shoe to drop. And it never happened. The offense moved the ball and scored touchdowns. And the defense was flying all over the place. Uh, it was just nice to watch a football game in which my favorite team did things right and beat a team that they were not supposed to beat. It was one of those wins where it kind of feels like not only is it safe, perhaps saving Matt Eberflus's job, but it feels like they're on the verge of something that they could build on for next year, kind of like the Lions from last year. Fields looking, backside pressure. Fields spins away. Going the other direction now. Fields on the run, throws for the end zone. Komet with the catch, the toe tap, and the touchdown. First down over the middle, and it's oh. intercepted. Off the deflection, it's Tremaine Edmonds. Edmonds on the move. Flacco trying to make the stop. He can't do it, and Edmonds is in with a pick six. Haven. Flacco looking downfield, open, and oh, Cooper oh, makes the catch oh, and breaks free. Oh, Cooper tiptoes all the way for the touchdown. Santos would love a chance. 55 yards, his career long, looking, sets up, throwing deep. Hail Mary, end zone, deflected, oh. tipped, and intercepted. Almost caught Darnell Mooney. Achingly close to a game winner, and instead the Browns survive 20 to 17. Last week I was entertaining the idea of him coming back as head coach next year, right? Because obviously dependent on Justin Fields as he continues to improve, I was here to, to run it all back, right? And now I'm just I'm iffy. I'm more like, let's just clean house now. I, I've seen enough. It's it's like just when I'm starting to trust him, he goes back to the same old man. Maybe he's just a decoy and it's a run. Taylor in motion, Fields under pressure again. He's going to run wide open path for six. And Herbert the carry, trying to get to the edge. He does. Does he have speed to get to the end zone? He does. It's a Bears touchdown. Third down and goal. Fields flings back corner. More touchdown Bears. Trent Taylor in motion. There, there is Fields in his legs. Dances outside. Stretches. Touchdown, Justin Fields. You know, another reason I was so disappointed throughout this year was 
that it felt like as fans, we lost another season of potentially competitive football. We only get so many seasons to watch. After all, we're all human here. There are 60-year-old Browns fans that have never seen a Browns championship. There are 67-year-old Lions fans that have never been alive for a championship. There are 76-year-old Cardinals fans that have never been alive for a championship. I have never been alive for a Bears championship. And I don't want to be listening to a Bears show in the year 2055, listening to a conversation about a 70-year Super Bowl drought. But I guess I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but let's just hope they beat Green Bay on Sunday and we'll take it from there. This game right here almost. This has got holds a lot of cards. As Love on third and one wants to go up top. Looks to the end zone. The pass is on the money for the touchdown. Dontavian Wicks. There's Fields. They crash in on him again, just like they did on two other drives in this game. Third and three. The pass to Wicks. And he finds the goal line for the touchdown. But it's the same old story now for a number of years as the Packers beat the Bears for a tenth consecutive time. Although that was incredible, and I can't believe that you spent that much time doing putting that all that together, but that was amazing and my first takeaway is, man, I aged through this season. Like I, started, <laughs> yeah. I look, I look back at week one. I'm like, wow, I was clean shaven, I was bright eyed and bushy tailed, and now I got, I got this patchy facial hair. I just want to go to bed. Uh, so, and what a mm-hmm. what an incredible recap of the season. Well done, Bravo. Uh, that you. that should be that should everyone should watch that as a recap of the Bears season, uh, including the the people in charge of the Bears. Uh, because that they they need to see just how people were reacting in real time when the whenever those uh, whenever the Bears were losing football games. So well done on your part, sir. Thank you very much. And look at this. This is where the barflies are so invaluable to us in so many ways. Uh, Joe is reporting that the Bears have requested an interview with offensive coordinator Shane Waldron for per Tom Pelissaro. He is of course the offensive coordinator from the Seattle Seahawks. So uh, that's a perfect segue to uh, talking about offensive coordinator candidates. What do you think? Yeah, that's, that's a, that's an interesting name. Uh, And I'm sure as we, as we, as the days progress, we're going to have more names out there. Uh, I was talking about the offensive coordinator situation and how I don't want someone that's going to, you know, jump ship in a year and then, you know, stifle the, uh, stifle the progression of whatever quarterback is here whether it's Justin Fields or or a rookie quarterback uh because you already you see that with uh is it Slowick in uh in Houston with mm-hmm. uh, with CJ Stroud yep. whether it's this year or next year he's going to be a hot name to leave and then we saw what happens when these good quarterbacks lose their offensive coordinator we've seen it we saw it with Josh Allen this year uh, or we saw it with Josh Allen a couple after uh Dave Ball left and and, mm-hmm. and some of the struggles that are there so and Danny, you talked about the three people. You didn't give the names. You kind of gave, uh, although the first one I believe was Arthur Smith. So yeah. kind of kind of elaborate on why Arthur Smith 
would be uh, a potential candidate for for us offensive coordinator, then go into the other two candidates. Yeah, so Arthur Smith is a guy I, I would like to see. And, and basically, again, the, the emphasis here is I want someone who has play calling experience has done it recently. And, and Arthur Smith, obviously a 15-season NFL coach assistant, uh, started off on a defensive side and, and then went over to 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 be offensive uh, a tight ends coach and a uh, quality control coach at Tennessee, was the offensive coordinator uh, with the Titans at 2019 to 2020. Uh, actually, Ryan Tannehill, uh, made the Pro Bowl with with Smith as his offensive corner in 20, 2019. So then obviously he went to Atlanta. And I think with Smith, what he brings is 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 he brings a system that's like, that's got a multiple uh, you know takes from things from the West Coast from from the uh, uh, Eric Coriel stuff and from some of the some of the uh, wide zone scheme from the Shanahan stuff and he, he mixes all in. But he bases it on what he has around in terms of his of his offense. Like Atlanta, they they got some nice talented skill position players. Uh, you know, offensive line was solid, but the quarterback was what killed them. And everyone, you know, talked about, you know, if Justin Fields, that type of quarterback was with, you know, uh, Arthur Smith in Atlanta, I think that would be a nice, you know, combination. I think so now why not bring him here? We got a young developing offensive line. We got DJ Moore outside. We got Cole Komet. Hopefully get another offensive weapon on the outside. And 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 it, he builds a game. The offensive line, it's, it's, it's a physical offense that's based off of, the run game, right? It's it's a lot of twenty-two man personnel, thirteen man personnel, but everything's built off of the play action and built off of that physical dominating run offense. And I think this is a guy that can come in here with add some more weapons and with a kid like Justin Fields. And I'm thinking about about Fields and putting him in a position to succeed would be a, a nice um, um, a piece to go ahead and, and build the offense around Justin and and some of the skill position players on the outside. So again, he's a guy that just got let go. You know, I'm not sure if he's looking to get back into the, you know being an assistant right away, or if he's trying to you know, maybe get him, put his name into being a, a head coach uh, again. We'll see. It didn't end too nicely there, or too kindly there in, in Atlanta. So I think this is a guy again, depending on, on what they do, is a guy they could probably probably bring in here as as a um, as a you know a, a guy who's done it before, a play caller, uh, that guy that can that can build it off of a physical run run game. Uh, the other guy I have is is, is a young guy, is, is an up-and-coming guy. He's been actually been in the league for 12 seasons as, as an assistant coach. And if you want to keep the same type of scheme, which is that Shanahan, McVay, wide zone, inside zone scheme, Clint Kubiak is a kid that that's right now is the passing game coordinator with with Kyle Shanahan and the San Francisco 49ers. Right. So if you want if you want the Shanahan uh, offense, go get it from a guy that his dad ran the offense and, and Gary Kubiak. And so Clint Kubiak has been an offensive assistant, like I said, with, with Minnesota, with Denver. He was the offensive coordinator with the Vikings in 2021, and Kirk Cousins made the Pro Bowl under him. He threw for uh, over 4,000 yards, 33 touchdowns, and seven interceptions. So, again, if you want to keep that wide zone scheme because you already kind of drafted for that system, Clint Kubiak, 36 years old, is a guy you could bring in. That's a guy that intrigues me as, as a young assistant that can come in here and be a, you know, be a, a play caller. Again, if you want to keep Justin because he's – familiar with the scheme, or if you want to go ahead and bring another quarterback. And as, as we've seen, this is the same system that they're running over there in, in Houston now with CJ Stroud. So it's, it's a quarterback friendly system. If you go ahead and, and bring someone that that's, you know, that that's, they can call plays and that, and that can, that can be actually creative with that, with that system. So the guy, the third guy that I think eventually, in my opinion, is going to get the job and it's going to be, it's all about relationships here in the NFL, right? We talked about Ibrahim being possibly on, on a, on a make it or a break it, you know, uh, final year here. So he's got to have to rely on some friends. And the guy that, that just got released right now is, is a good friend of his, is Frank Reich. 
right? Frank Reich, 62 years old. He's always a more a older a coach. Obviously, he's been around. He's been offense coordinator with, with the Chargers, offense coordinator with Eagles, head coach with, with the Colts, and obviously this past year with, with the Panthers. So the other thing with, with Frank Reich is he just went through this whole process. If, if you're going to draft a quarterback, he went through the process just last year in terms of going through these pro days and, and, and sitting on these quarterbacks and going through. Now he was forced the Bryce Young was forced on him by the owner. You know, he, that's not the, his first guy. Multiple people have told me that that wasn't his first choice, but it was forced by the owner. If the owner wants him, what you're going to do. And, and unfortunately it just then ended up being, you know, ushered out because Bryce Young is, wasn't competitive. He had nobody on the outside in terms of weapons, offensive line was shambles. Obviously, we've talked about Bryce Young and his limitations in terms of size. But again, Frank Reich, he's he's someone that, that obviously Ibraflus uh, uh, was his defensive coordinator with, with Indy. So they had that relationship there. Uh, the, the thing about Reich is his run game is, is predominantly zone-based, right, uh, scheme. That, but he does a nice job in terms of adapting and he uses gap scheme. You, you'll see some power, some trap. You see some pin and pull in there as well. Does a nice job of using motion. Uh, a lot of times use that motion player as a lead blocker. You know, Jonathan Taylor has some great years running the football with, with Frank Reich as his, as his play caller. Uh, you know, he's, he's known as, as a guy that, that can innovate some nice explosive run run plays here, you know, you know in terms of as a play caller. Uh, passing game, again, he, you know, he's, his game is just based mostly on the West Coast system. But he's got some some principles that I like, right? He, he likes to make things easy and simple for his quarterbacks. Basically, he likes to put uh, what he what he calls a, a triangle concept on one side of the football field, and he and he so he he floods the, the DBs with three receivers running similar routes. So a lot of those routes are like drag routes, you know, uh, crossers, real quick hitters. That way, that, that gives the quarterback one one side of the field to read. Doesn't have to sit there in a the pocket, hold the ball, go sideline to sideline. He gives them easy concepts to go ahead and just fire. Well, those three receivers. Bam, bam, bam! The triangle. One hit, hit one of these guys. If you're not, you you do have a, a guy in the flat as your outlet. You do a lot of times. You also have a guy, a running back, running out from the backfield uh, for a real route. So it gives, it makes the 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 offense a little simpler, a little more you know, less complicated, if you will, for the quarterback. Plus, he's done it for years, and he's a guy that that you know we talked about earlier. Probably won't, you know he said earlier that this this uh, Carolina job might have been his last job in the NFL. So we got to see if he's really could back into it here and be a play caller. But because of the relationship with Matt Eberflus, I think maybe he might come in here and might take over the you know the system. And again, if you do draft a quarterback, he just went through this process in terms of you know going out and finding a quarterback, going through the whole you know scouting combine and everything like that. So those are the three guys I, I kind of plucked out there. Obviously, we saw Shane Waldron here today uh, that the Bears requested um, you know Waldron to, to interview. He's he was with the Seattle Seahawks, obviously with, with Pete Carroll now moving on. He's available. So and Waldron also he came from the Rams. We talk about another right. guy from the McVay tree, right? Again, we're talking about wide zone, inside zone. I think he did a nice job with, with Geno Smith this past year, you know, getting him some, some nice easy concepts in terms of the passing game and, and being able to kind of build his confidence up. And we saw what Geno Smith did. So I think that's a that's a curious name as well. He's I think I believe he's in the 40, I think he's 44 years old, he's been around really for, for you know for some time. So again, it looks like they're 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 gonna be staying in that same kind of concept, right? Using that wide zone and that zone scheme because they've kind of drafted for that for that concept, right? So I think Clint Kubiak would make sense. Shane Waldron makes sense. And obviously, I, I think, you know, if they, if they you know, push comes to shove, he goes to his friend, his buddy, Frank Reich, if, if Reich doesn't want to take a job. Yeah, Waldron's an interesting name. He has an array of experience. Like you said, 44 years old, but has a lot on his resume. He was the offensive quality control coach and the tight ends coach for New England in 08 and 09, where they won a Super Bowl. So he's been under Belichick. 
as a coach. And like you said, uh, he was under Sean McVay as uh, he was the tight ends coach there, then the passing game coordinator, then the quarterbacks coach and the passing game coordinator before he ultimately got the offensive coordinator job with Seattle. So uh, a, a nice array of, of experience where it's not like the, the Matt Nagy where he just kind of followed Andy Reid wherever he went. He was under that same system the entire time. He was, mm-hmm. he was, he was with new England then he went the, uh, he, he, he was in a, a couple of different independent leagues. He was with UMass as the offensive line coach at one point uh, was with Washington as the offensive quality control coach in 2016. The guy's been all over the place. So that's uh, you know, you're kind of dipping into a bunch of experience there. Just some background uh, there on uh, on Shane Waldron, who was the Bears have requested an interview with him, which would be right. a very interesting uh, candidate there. Aldo, uh, what route do you think uh, that they might go, or who would you like to see? Is it is it one of these? Is it an older, experienced uh, offensive coordinator, or is it an up and comer? You know, I would be totally open to interviewing both candidates. And anytime I'm asked a question like this. I like to kind of focus on the questions that I would ask this potential offensive coordinator. So I would ask, you know, uh, what do you think about Justin Fields? What are his strengths? What are his weaknesses? Take a look at this game. How would you have changed the play calling from what we had from Luke Getze? I wouldn't even mention his name, but what we had and what would you do in order to preserve this lead? We're up by three touchdowns. We're up against uh, whatever. And I would also then say, okay, now let's talk about potential quarterback prospects. If we decided to move on from Justin, who have you looked at? What are your thoughts about that person? How would you utilize that person? So I would really dig in to get as much information about that person and what he thinks about Justin Fields, what he thinks about Caleb Williams, what he thinks about any of the other top prospects. Uh, Ryan Pose accidentally set four yeah. prospects today. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Courtney Cronin, I believe. Great it was. catch by Courtney yes. Cronin, by the way. Great catch by Courtney Indeed. Cronin. Excellent catch. And she followed up and asked him, you said four. And he goes, well, if I said that, I was mistaken. Yeah, you said that, dude. Oh, yeah, he said four. <laughs> so I would want to talk about those four quarterbacks in depth. And then I would, you know, give any candidate, whether he's a veteran and especially if he's a newbie, I would give them a packet of information, not lengthy, especially if they're still coaching during the season. You make some exceptions for certain people, but a packet of what if scenarios. What if this were to happen? What would you do? What what if on third and 15, this is happening against perhaps a team that they are familiar with so that they can speak intelligently about it. But the big point here that I want to make here is that it has to be, as Kevin Warren talked, about a very methodical, very thoughtful approach to getting as much information from this candidate as possible so that you can make the best informed decision. That did not happen last time. And that's a big mark against Ryan Poles. As Danny said earlier, when you bring in, you know, three, two coordinators and a head coach who have never had experience at that, you have made a huge mistake as a general manager. So hopefully he's learned from that. Well, you bring up Ryan Poles, and that's that's what the next question I want to ask. And I'll start with Danny. So far, I know that you've had some questions about Ryan Poles and some of the moves that he's made, but uh, coming out of year two, What's the what grade do you give Ryan Poles? Given what the the roster he's built, the coaches he's hired, the decisions he's made, the trades he's made, the draft picks he's made, all encompassing, 
Uh, go ahead and give Ryan Poles a grade after two seasons. Yeah, I mean, I, I still like to give him a, a couple more, at least one more season for his first draft class, but you know, to kind of fully develop. But I mean, I've, I think we we think Vales Jones is, is is could be a bust there, a third round pick. So that's, that's going to be a you know a, a large hit there. But I mean, you got two starters in terms of Keller Gordon and Jaquan Brister Brisker in his first draft. Braxton Jones talked about already a fifth round pick, you know, a private starting life tackle. So he's got some misses, some some hits there in, in his first class. And obviously, this last year we got Darnell Wright um, and the trade down for for DJ Moore. Uh, I think that that's, you know, and obviously I think the, the, the best move was, was getting Montez sweat. And that, that's the one thing that I've kind of dinged uh, Ryan Poles on was, was, was when he did the teardown, he started attacking, not the offensive defensive lines. And that's where I wanted him to attack. So now he's come back and he's, he's done that with the Montez sweat trade. He's done that this year with, uh, with the, with the two kids inside. We saw, you know, um, uh, Dexter get, get better there in, in terms of the young guy developing. Uh, I think Pickens, I'm, I'm high on Pickens as well. We talked about, you know, Stevenson got better. And in the second half of the season, uh, Terrell Smith, you know, showed coming in there and showed well. Um, you know, for, so so for me, I, I think right now I, I have to give him a C plus. I think if, if I'm being honest, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not overly uh, overconfident with in terms of he's going to do a great job moving forward. We'll we'll see. But this is a pivotal pivotal offseason for the Bears and the organization. If Ryan Poles at all blunders this offseason, it could set the franchise back for years. Mm-hmm. Although, mm-hmm. what grade what grade do you give him so far? Yeah, I'm actually uh, surprised that Danny gave a C plus. Uh, I think that's a generous grade. I was actually thinking C minus, but based on what I just heard from Danny, I might uh, push it up to a C. And the reason why is as part of the rebuild, I would have sat down with Ryan Pose and asked him, okay, so what do you anticipate in terms of wins and losses in year one and year two and year three of this three-year rebuild? Assuming that it's a three-year rebuild, it can't be anything more than a three-year rebuild, not in the NFL. So my, you know, I'm going by the predictions that you guys had at the beginning of the season. That's that's first segment of the video when you guys basically said eight or nine wins. And that's what I would have had for year two of Ryan Pose's uh, rebuild. They failed short of that, which is why I'm thinking C minus. There were these awful mistakes with the Claypool uh, trade and uh, the coordinator issue that we talked about and the inexperience and so forth. So that's why I think they, they have done some good things in scouting players, but the, the jury is still out, but it's looking somewhat favorable. Those two defensive backs that they got in year one of, of Poses draft are turning out well. Those two interior linemen they got in the second and third round of the most recent draft, one of them looks like he's going to be a really good three-tech, Jervon Dexter. The other guy, the jury's still out on. He has not had any sustained success. But there's no doubt about it that Darnell Wright at the right tackle position looks like a lock there for the next 10 years. So there's been some good things. There's been some bad things. Just like the head coach and the coordinators that Ryan Pose was a part of hiring, he is also a first-time guy. So you gotta, you know, you gotta factor that in too. So th- there it is. I can't believe I'm gonna be the highest, but with a C plus. Uh, but I'm like, I'm, I'm gonna just because I I like what he did with the cap situation because I hated how Ryan Pace had to handle it, where it was chasing bad money with bad monies. Like, I, oh, I screwed up a draft pick, so I gotta I I gotta get Allen Robinson, or I screwed up the quarterback, I gotta go get Nick Foles and Andy Dalton. I screwed up the I I let Leonard Floyd go. Uh, we didn't bring up his option, so we gotta go get Robert Quinn. It was always chasing 
free agents with bad draft uh, picks and what you put yourself in salary cap hell doing that. And so uh, Ryan Poles was in charge of clearing that out. He's made some good draft picks. They're going to be able to sign some of these young players whenever like that, that that was the thing like the bears couldn't they didn't retain anyone that they drafted like that was the, that was the main thing that we saw a few years ago there wasn't any, there weren't any first rounders left on the team that they because they are they're all gone so uh i think that uh that he i want to give him i want i wanted to give a cop out and say incomplete but I'm, i i gave i gave i gave a c plus just because like danny said next season really is make or break because there there are franchise altering decisions that you're making now you you already made one by bringing Eberflus back and now you're gonna have to do another one was who's running the offense and what are you doing at the quarterback position these are these are literally these are career defining moves he has to make they are franchise defining moves that he's going to make for the next four or five years that are gonna that are gonna impact this team so we will see uh especially and, and if they you know even if they choose to move off of Justin Fields Danny, you and I had this conversation uh, last week. Are they sold on Caleb Williams, or could they trade back and you know take Marvin Harrison at three and then draft Penix at nine? Or it was so uh, there. There's a lot of different things that could be happening here. He made a he dropped some crumbs today in a press conference. Ryan Poles for me, and 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 if you've noticed, I don't know if it was Courtney who does a great job uh, covering the Bears for ESPN 1000 with that for that that question. But they they said, you know, what was the uh, what's the thing you're going to look for in terms of your quarterback? And he's like, and he and he made a point. I think he's talking specifically about Caleb Williams. He said it's not about the tape, the talent on the tape, because we can turn it on, yeah. we can see the talent. It's off the field. Is 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 this guy a leader? You know what what makes him tick? And I think that was directly going at Caleb Williams because I've been saying since the season started that, that I was told that Caleb Williams on the field, talent-wise, can make all the throws, quick release. He's got he's got the ability to be a dual threat. He's got a lot of talent, right? But the thing is off the field. There's a lot of off-the-field questions scouts had going into this season, okay? Uh, and, then, and then I think some of those questions were not answered. I think some of those questions were actually – there were more questions added to them because of some of the way he, he acted with the media, you know, after some adversity with, with losses at USC. And then the, one of the, the team for me, guys, I, I don't know if you guys saw that the bowl game with USC where after the game they asked Lincoln Riley, the head coach for USC, in terms of, you know, how was – you know, in, in terms of the game. He said, this is the most fun I've had all season coaching this team. What's the difference there? Caleb Williams wasn't his quarterback, so that that is a is a big red flag for me. And and if you if you take if you take Justin Fields, who the team loves, who pretty much everyone you know has, has spoken up for, and you replace him with a Caleb Williams, and he comes in with the attitude, or he comes in with that body language problem, and all that other stuff, you are going to lose this team quicker than 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 anything else. But and I think then both Poles and Eberflus are out the door. So that thing that's the thing I think he touched on there is. And, and the other question was, they asked him, you know, when does he expect to trade the pick if he trades the pick? Because last year they traded it right after the, the combine. And he goes, I expect to hold on to this until April, meaning that he's going to go through the whole process of, of you know, meeting these guys, doing, you know, having them come into the, to the building and all that stuff, whether it's Caleb or, or Drake, May, Drake May. I think that that's what they're, they're going to be doing here. I think they're going to hold on to this. And they're going to do the due diligence. But, I, but one positive for me, at least, is that he didn't give up on Justin Fields. I think he's he's a guy that, that didn't just out say, you know, obviously, you know, there's trade value there for Justin if he decides to move on. But I think, and and, and I, I do believe polls when he says this, that, that he's going to go through the process and he's going to, and he did see Justin improve. And there was things where he said he wanted him to improve. He, he mentioned that the, the two minute stuff at, at the end of the games. Uh, but but I think he knows what, what Justin brings to this, to this locker room and what he brings in terms of his intangibles. There are things he's got to get better at. But I, I think he's going to give Justin a fair shot. Another interesting thing I, I 
picked up from that press conference. But I think the question, and I'm I'm paraphrasing, is like if you dr- if you bring in a rookie quarterback, does that change your expectations next year? As opposed, like, are you rebuilding? Or the essence of the question was, what are do your expectations for a successful year change if you bring in a new quarterback? And basically, they said no. Uh, and I, and I thought I found that interesting. But then you look at some of the teams this year who made it work with backup and young quarter. CJ Stroud's going to the, they won the division this year with a rookie quarterback. Uh, Joe Flacco is taking the Browns to the playoffs. Uh, You know, for uh, the Browns were in playoff or the Bengals were in playoff contention with Jake Browning until the last couple of weeks. The the Vikings were in playoff contention with whoever the hell they were playing at quarterback for the last couple of weeks. So I, I can see why it's like we're, 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 we're building the team, and the, when we expect the quarterback that is going to be able to take us to the playoffs. So I, I found that to be interesting. And another point, Danny, I think that you tweeted or maybe you were responding to uh, Greg Gabriel was, uh, if you bring in Caleb Williams, a hard-nosed offensive coordinator like Eric Bieniemy might be in order to coach him hard to to yeah. to, to, to turn him into something. Yeah, Caleb is is a is a uh, a player that that needs to be held accountable. Right? And and if you're going to bring in uh, you know, Cale Williams, you need to have a, a coach, a play call. In this case, it's going to be offensive coordinator or a quarterback coach that's going to hold him accountable to because he's got the same stuff that you got, that everyone complains about Justin in terms of holding the ball, playing that hero ball, you know, uh, not getting on the ball in time or holding it loosened away from his body, you know, some fumbles and all that stuff because things he can make things happen at the last minute. So he's a guy that's going to have to be coached hard. And, and the one thing about Eric Bianami, and, and I'm not a big fan of his philosophy, especially after he, he you know, against the Bears, he, he uh, had Howell throw 50 consecutive passes. I'm, I'm like a guy, coordinator who's, who's concentrates on, on the on the run game. But in, in terms of how he coaches, I think he's a guy that will hold – Caleb responsible will will hold any player to coaches responsible and, and hold them accountable. I don't think Matt Eberflus is someone that like, that will hold a kid like Caleb Williams accountable. I'm sorry. I mean, you and I have talked about it before, John, in terms of you need an adult in a room. And there's a lot of times I just, I just don't see Matt Eberflus being that guy, being that, that guy that, that can, you know, sit down on a player and say, you know, this is what you're going to do. I mean, hell, he couldn't hold Luke Getzi accountable for any of the, of the stuff he do. He couldn't go to Luke Getzi and say, Hey, we're running the ball here. So I, I just I just think if you bring in a guy like Caleb Williams, you need to have a play caller that's going to hold him accountable. I got I got I got to add this real quick. Um, the the problem that I have with Eric Bieniemy, and these are allegations made by players like Lashawn McCoy, is that he gets really uh, belligerent and profane in his criticism directly towards players, calling them names, yelling at them at practice, and so forth. And the players don't particularly like that. That happened at Kansas City, and Andy Reid was there as a buffer. And it happened uh, at Washington, where particularly during the preseason, players were just very upset at how hard he ran them and so forth. And there are no positive results to to point to and say he rode them hard and and but it turned out well because the commanders are in the playoffs or blah 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 so my my only problem with that is that is you know there the makeup currently of this team particularly the nucleus players i don't think justin fields or or caleb williams is going to respond to that type of coaching, yeah. particularly right. you're talking about Caleb Williams who's crying into the shoulder of his mom after a loss. I think he's probably maybe the most sensitive quarterback coming to the NFL in quite some time. Yeah. Then, just then to he, clarify, though, just to clarify, although I wasn't uh, saying I want Eric Bieniemy as a, I, I just okay. I want someone that's going to hold the quarterback 
Fair accountable. I, I'm just I, I use him as an example because I know he's the one that does that, right? So whether it's mm-hmm. Shane Waldron or if it's you know Frank Reich or one of the other guy, Clint Kubiak, as long as you hold the quarterback accountable for his mistakes, because I don't think the head coach will. Yeah. It, as you can find, hopefully you can find somewhere in the middle there. We always try, we always unfortunately can't find that happy medium because Eberflus, like I've said numerous times, seems like a nice guy, seems like a, a fine human being. Uh, I don't know how old Matt Eberflus is, but it looks like eventually he's going to be like the, that guy in his living room wearing a cardigan and the uh, on the recliner who offers you a Werther's original and then wants to tell you an interesting story about an old wooden bridge. Like he just seems like a nice, boring old guy. Uh, but it's, but uh, I don't know, like Danny said, if he's going to, you know, he doesn't have the flair to 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 really hold people accountable. Look at the staff. There's a lot of turnover with the staff just after after this year. Uh, but let, let's let's turn over to a different subject, and that would be Kevin Warren's uh, uh, press conference today, talking about the new stadium, what he's trying to get accomplished, talking about how obviously having over 300 acres makes things more uh, conducive to building a new stadium, but uh, didn't didn't really give any real concrete uh, details on where that's going. Um, Aldo, I'll start with you just because you are uh, our native Arlington Heights guy right now. Uh, where, where what do you see happening, or what do you? How do you, I guess, assess this uh, this stadium issue that's going on with with uh, with Chicago? Well, first of all, let me just say this about Kevin Warren. I mean, he a very polished presentation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I one of the things though that bugged me is that there was a lot of corporate speak there, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> I, you know, one of the reasons I, I did not last longer than fifteen years at my last corporate job was because I started kind of talking like I talk, as opposed to how a CEO or a vice president or a senior director. I got to the director level. Uh, on my job. And then after that, they were like, all right, time to get rid of this guy because he's sharing too much of his own thoughts. Right? So I thought Kevin was a little bit bordering on being too corporate from my taste. But nonetheless, everything he said makes total sense. And the Bears clearly made a huge, huge mistake when they announced publicly that they were going to be negotiating solely with Arlington Heights. And that was before Warren was hired, and he immediately corrected that mistake and started negotiations with Chicago and talked about how beautiful it is to have a football stadium in downtown Chicago and that it's part of the heritage and blah, blah, blah. And that all makes total sense. He's doing it the right way. He is pitting even though he denied that he was, he is pitting Arlington Heights versus Chicago so that he can get the best possible deal because Arlington Heights right now wants to screw them when it comes to taxes. By the way, I'm getting screwed in taxes too in my home here, but that's another story. So uh, I do like the methodical approach. And then one other thing that I don't think was mentioned at the press conference today, a few days ago, he had a press conference because he and his wife were donating a million dollars to a charity to help uh, uh, kids in need, uh, families in need. And uh, he he talked about afterwards that he thought an, an announcement would be imminent in maybe a month or two months from now. So it's good that he is at least in a, in a place where he can make some type of announcement very soon about which direction they're headed. Because, hey, you know, just like you said in the video, John Buffon, there are some people who are 65, 70 years old who haven't seen championships. I'd like to be alive when we see this new stadium. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, Aldo, would you pay a little higher in taxes if uh, if the Bear Stadium was two miles from your house? 
I, I would not be happy about it, to be honest with yeah? you. Yeah, okay. I, I, that, that was a legit question because they, they, sure. that's the, I, I'm sure that's what they're selling to a lot of the, the, the to the tax base is like, listen, this is going to bring in a lot of business to the local economy. You're going to be able to just walk over to the stadium if you really wanted to. I, I, I'd actually value your opinion on that. Yeah, well, you know, the, the, the thing is they have to convince me as to what the benefits are. I don't mind paying high taxes if I know it's going – for a good cause for the school system. Our taxes help to pay for school expenses in a nearby suburb. So, you know, I, I wrestle with that a little bit. Why don't they pay their own and so forth? But I am a, you know, a good citizen. And so I'll let that slide. Now they have to, the bears would have to tell me this is where the tax money is going to uh, before I could offer a really uh, uh, knowledgeable response. Well, would that increase your property value there? Although if they moved in, that's the other thing. From the research that I have done when Las Vegas and uh, uh, the Rams built their new stadium, it, it helped increase property values. Now, I have read a couple of differing points of view on that, but the, the research that I have done tells me that it would increase my property value, which would be great. And you could uh, sell a parking spot in your driveway for about fifty bucks a day every time, every game day. Make there a little, uh, make a little side money there. Uh, every whenever, every whenever time I'm, we have bear flies here, uh, bear flies. Yeah. <laughs> you can help us. You can help us sign T Higgins. There you go. <laughs> I like that idea. Unless I'm in town, and then I have a reserved parking spot there in Arlington Heights. So that, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but uh, Danny, what do you think of the, the whole stadium uh, situation? Where would you like to see it? Uh, pros and cons, if there are any. What? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it's uh, all just laid out real nicely there. I think he is using the city as as leverage because you know the, the Bears obviously you know Ted Phillips you know was running this thing and he was he was you know couldn't get out of his own way. So um, that's the one thing about today's press conference is seeing a professional, you know, a CEO of, of, of an organization come out there instead of Ted sweating all over the place. But, uh, you know, I, I think what he's doing now, he's using leverage uh, the city versus, versus on Heights. I think eventually, that, you know, if they bought that land. I think they're, they're going to eventually, you know, strike a deal with Arlington Heights. I, they're, they're, this is just negotiation back and forth. And I think eventually, we will all be, you know, uh, tailgating in all those backyard and, and and walking over to to the Bears game as as they built that stadium. Not know where it's it was it twenty twenty six is when the lease they can get out of their lease at Soldier Field, I believe it is. Is that what it is? Twenty twenty six or is I it? Think, later I think it's that? a little later than that. Yeah. yeah. So it, it might be a couple of years here and there, but uh, you know, I, I think eventually when it's all said and done, it'll it'll be out in Arlington Heights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just think that there was probably some roadblocks there that they weren't foreseeing. They thought this was going to be easy peasy. Everyone's on board. We'll give you all the money. Taxes are going to be fine. They get who's building the roads? What's going on with this? Oh, who cares? We'll just put. We're just going to announce we bought this. We we bought this, and everything else will fall into place. Well, it's not exactly falling into place, but uh, I think Kevin Warren is dedicated to having a world class stadium that I think that he would eventually want Chicago to host the Super Bowl. I think that that's one mm-hmm. of those things. And then you're going to obviously for that you're going to have to have an enclosed stadium. You're going to have a, a dome stadium. They uh from what I understand the the idea of having a retractable roof was not brought up. It was just going to be a dome. Uh so we'll see 
uh, where they're going to go with that. They probably want to host the Final Four. They probably can have big convention, political conventions there in Chicago uh, or in Arlington Heights. So they uh, and 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 like I've said before, you maximize your profit for all twelve months rather than just whenever it's you know nice and sunny in Chicago, which is about three months out of the year. So you so you can have concerts there, you can have conventions there, and you can do that in December, January, and February. Where in Soldier Field, you're probably not doing that. So uh, we'll we'll see uh, where where this goes but fellas, the last thing i want to talk about before before we wrap this up is some of the position groups uh that need to be targeted as in the offseason i'm not just talking about the draft i'm talking about free agency as well um i haven't really dug into the free agent list yet uh usually i'm all over that but i haven't really been looking at that yet for some reason uh but as far as draft and free agents uh danny what what positional uh what positions do you see the bears targeting in the offseason well, on offense, I, I see an interior offensive lineman, a center or, or another guard, depending on, on what you do with Nate Davis. Uh, he had an up-and-down season. You know, I, I know it's in the first year of his contract. I'm not sure what the guarantee money is there. But if you can upgrade there, I think you would, you would do that as well. Uh, they're going to be in, in a spot here in, in the draft, with the, probably with that ninth pick, depending on what they do with that first one, they trade down or not, to have an option of going getting maybe the, the top two tackles in the, in the draft, left tackles, right? So do, do you do that? Do you, you know, we talked about Braxton Jones in terms of, you know, his improvement. Do you kick him inside the guard, switch Tevin Jenkins over to right guard and, and, and go with the, with the rookie left tackle? And now you have your bookend tackle. So that, that's the thing right there is, is interior offensive lineman is my first thing. You're going to need receivers. You're going to need probably two receivers if, if, if I had to guess right, because I think Darnell Mooney is not going to come back. I think Sam Brown's not going to come back. And you have Tyler Scott, DJ Moore, um, and um, and and obviously Phyllis Jones. I don't know what, what he's going to do here, you know, going forward. But I think you need at least at least two receivers. And this is a this is a, a good draft for receivers, right? You know, obviously Marvin Harris Jr. is the top of the top of the heap there. But there's going to be tons of guys in that first round. You're going to find some guys in the second, third round as well that can come in and help you. So I think receiver and interior offensive lineman on, on offense uh, is, is going to be the key there. Defensively, I still want an interior defensive tackle. I still want a dude or an ass kicker and an inside defensive tackle that can provide consistent pressure. I know Dexter and, and Pickens are young guys that Dexter shows some promise, and I think Pickens will eventually show promise as well. But I still want another interior defensive guy. But, but first and foremost, I want a speed edge rusher opposite of Montez Sweat. That's the guy I want to get. go get there. And I think you can get that in the draft as well. You have to go out there and spend big money in free agency too. So I think a speed guy um, you know, doesn't have to be a guy that's going to be necessarily a four-down guy or, or a run-stuffing guy. I think he's a guy you can just bring in on, on nickel packages or any passing down and, and, and let him kind of rush the passer opposite of Montez Sweat. But he's got to be a quick twitch first step guy um that's on that's on defense and then and then in terms of you know just kind of overall i, I obviously the quarterback position we'll see what happens there but i, I think it once you add some more pieces to that defense and kind of fortify this defense especially since you're bringing back the the, the coordinator and or or you're bringing about the head coach, who's you know, the quasi coordinator. I think that that unity, that that you know, that ability, and Jalen Johnson, with, without question, as a guy you, you should probably resign as well as Jalen Johnson. Uh, so I think that you know that group playing together again, building uh, and adding a couple more weapons there, uh, you know, on the outside and, and, and speed rusher. I think that's going to help fortify them there. Uh, Aldo, what do you think? That what do you think? What are the uh, the main positions they target in the offseason are? Yeah, I think if if you've made up your mind that you're going to keep Justin Fields, then you should really look at things through the prism of how can I make his job easier. So one of the things is, as Danny said, a premier speed rusher who can help get short fields for the offense will be huge. That is really the equivalent of getting a 
1,500-yard uh, running back. So I would start there, and I would then also try to get him another offensive weapon. There are in the first round going to be three or four great offensive, uh, uh, excuse me, wide receivers who should pan out. You know, eh, you know, we we won't know for sure, of course, but the, these are these guys are good gambles. So I would target a pass rusher and a wide receiver, and then in free agency, I'm targeting a veteran center, even Connor McGovern, the guy who is hurt and probably won't be ready for the start of the season. I would I would want somebody like him who is a veteran and can work with Justin Fields and become best buddies and so forth. Now, if you're going to draft a quarterback, then I think you have to really, really work hard at, at providing that quarterback with the safest environment from a pocket standpoint, whether it's the mobile quarterback, Caleb Williams, or the traditional pocket passer, Drake May. You want to really, really focus your energies on providing an offensive lineman. And so maybe that means knocking Braxton Jones inside as a backup to either one of the two guards or maybe he's fighting for a starting spot and getting a left tackle uh, who you can count on is going to protect this quarterback's blind side. That's a huge part of it. So a lot depends on which quarterback you're going to move in, and that will, should determine how you're going to focus. You've got to really, really focus in on getting the best assets for your quarterback, and sometimes that could be on the defensive side. Yeah, I agree with both of you. I I, I want to see a stability at the center position. Who the uh, leader on the line is calling out the calling out the uh, Danny cut the coverage or calling out the uh, what am I? What's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> whenever, whenever, the you, yeah, scheme. the protection scheme. Thank you. Uh, someone who who is going to be a captain on that line, also an edge rusher. I want I want to bring in a young. I, I wouldn't mind drafting one to go opposite Montez Sweat, who can learn from Montez Sweat, learn from some of the veterans on the defense. Uh, the secondary seems to be pretty short up. It doesn't, sounds like Jalen Johnson isn't going anywhere from what we under, from what we heard in the press conference today. Uh, linebackers are solid. They just got to attack the line, a couple more pieces there, uh, and then um, an edge rusher and then center on offense. That's, that's where I'm looking at. Uh, One more spot I I forgot to mention is is a is a flex tight end to replace Robert Tunyon opposite of of Cole Komet. That's another piece if you can get a guy, whether it's veteran free agency or or, or in the draft, another valuable option that they can get they can give the quarterback, whether it's Justin or or whoever else back there, another uh, you know um, um, safety valve to to be able to get rid of the ball quickly and get out. Like you know guys like Donald Parham, I think he's a free agent from from the. uh, Chargers, we saw a video uh, highlighted him scoring there. But guys like that, guys that can be flexed out in the slot position, because um, Cole Cole's more of a inline blocking tight end. But I think you know someone that can, that can complement him would be nice. Now I think Brock Brock Bowers is is, is uh, the kid from uh, from Georgia has been been highly you know uh, rated in terms of uh, going to a top ten. I, I I don't see a, a top ten in him. Uh, but so if he drops down, the Bears trade down. That could be an option later on in, in the draft as well in the first round. But uh, you know, as, as, you know, someone like that, someone that can, that can flex out and be a nice complement to Cole Komet will give you another 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 player there uh, at, at that tight end position. One of, one of the interesting things about Cole Komet though is that he has proven that he can be an inline tight end and also be used flexed out as a pass receiver. He's gotten better and better and better. So the way I would approach this 
tight end is see who's available and get the absolute best, whether he's a pass catching uh, tight end and then use Cole Moore for, for that inline blocking or whether it's a blocking tight end. Hey, I wouldn't mind seeing Mercedes Lewis back. I think he's a perfect three t- uh, yeah. t- uh, third uh, level tight end. But, uh, you know, I would make my decision on the tight end uh, uh, based on who is the best regardless of what position, because you got the flexibility in Cole Komet, he can play either position or both. Remember, Danny, I said maybe the new offensive coordinator, uh, I said earlier this year, maybe the new offensive coordinator comes in and said, I'm not taking the job unless Bob Tunyon's here. <laughs> they, they gotta, they gotta, they're going to re-sign Bob Tunyon. Like, ah, no Tunyon, no job. Listen, this we're going to make this offense run through Bob Tunyon. So, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> he's also going for the Jets. See, he's a he's a, a friend of Aaron Rodgers, so he'll be in, he'll be. Oh, in he'll be yeah, he'll be a Jet too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Him and Getsy are both going. To, they're going to be Jets next year, uh, gentlemen. Before we wrap this up, let's go around the horn. Aldo, uh, you know the it's the off season, but it's not really the off season for the barroom. Uh, tell us what tell us what's going on. Uh, what people can expect and why they should hit like and subscribe. Right. Well, we're going to continue with Gabriel Talks Football. In fact, uh, he and I are scheduled uh, to do a show on Friday. Mike North has got his season-ending show tomorrow at 10 a.m. Central. It'll be interesting to hear Mike's rants about uh, what the Bears have done with over, over today. Um, and uh, be- beyond that, we're going to have lots of draft coverage led by my man here, Danny Shimon. So I think that the best way for people to stay on top of the the great Bears coverage that we're going to, to deliver is to subscribe to the YouTube channel here, Barroom Network, and subscribe to our audio podcast. And I uh, trust me, we're going to be working hard at providing you with the best absolute content so that when the draft rolls along, you're going to be well-informed and, uh, and confident in who you want to draft for the Chicago Bears. Speaking of the draft. Danny, the regular season is over and so is the college football season. Everyone Mm -hmm. else's off season uh, is actually your time of glory. Tell us what you're (laughs) going to be working on. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ramping up. I think maybe next week, uh, although I, th- I think we, we're going to kick off draft on tap. Uh, obviously, the uh, the Senior Bowl is coming up soon. I got, got my credentials here for the Senior Bowl approved recently this this, this week. So that's all good. And then I, I don't know if this has been made official or not, but uh, Aldo will be joining me this year on draft on tap. And so him and I have already been texting back and forth about prospects that that he likes and that, I, that I've seen play and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be draft intensive here with two top 10 picks uh, in the first round. It's going to be a huge offseason, a huge draft for, for the Bears moving forward. You know, whether they keep Justin, they move on, we'll see what happens there. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens in terms of the coaching staff. And then, obviously, from there, we'll go on. The good thing is we know what Eberflus and the defensive staff likes in terms of, you know, defensive guys up front, linebackers, corners, so on and so forth, if they go that route. But, uh, you know, offensively, we got to see who the new coordinator is and, and in terms of what they like to do, you know, what kind of system they run, scheme, whether it's a wide zone, is it going to be more power-based? And that kind of dictates in terms of the offensive lineman you bring in here. All right. Well, and don't forget to like and subscribe to the Barroom Network and set those live alerts because we're going to be bursting with special episodes about roster moves, free agency, the draft, maybe some different changes going on that could drop at any time, depending on what's going on. But that will do it for us tonight. We appreciate you tuning in. This hey, has been. Hey, John, hold on a second. Uh- I think it would be really, really cool if you had one last B55 rant for us. I won't turn on the clock, so you don't have to worry about the 55 seconds, but the absolute best way. Wouldn't you agree, Danny? 
Yeah, I, I want to see that neck, that vein right there. Pop yeah. out your neck here. <laughs> give us one more, one more big, big vein pop up rant there. Yeah, just give us one more. No clock. The stage is yours, and then we'll clear, uh, finish the show that way. All right. All right. We're really going to get into this. So, all right. Listen, I've been a Bears fan my entire life, much like most of you have been Bears fans for the rest of your life, uh, for the for all of your life. Uh, People come up to me and they ask, why are you still doing this? Why are you still watching the Bears? And I and, and it's a simple question. It's an easy answer for me to say. You know what? Because we are Bears fans unconditionally. I was, I've never been alive for a Bears championship. I never got to see Walter Payton play. I never got to do the Super Bowl shuffle. Uh, I basically have never seen anything. The only memories I have of Bears success are memories that I never actually experienced. So why do I do it? It's because of the community that we've built here. It's because of the people around us. And Bears fans, eventually, we will get it right. We have to hold on to the hope that there is hope. We have to hold on to the hope that this will not, bad times will not always be bad times. That there will be good times. Uh, there will eventually be a time where we can look at highlights that are not 40 years old. There will eventually be a time where we can buy a championship t-shirt somewhere other than a vintage clothing shop. <laughs> and so when that happens, all of those bad memories will go away. The 2006 rainy Super Bowl loss to the Colts, away. The 2010 NFC Championship game loss to the Green Bay Packers, it'll go away. The infamous double doink game, will go away. So we all have to just keep hoping and keep loving this team unconditionally because we don't have any other choice. It's in our blood. We bleed blue and orange. So we will hibernate, we will wait, and we will continue to hope. We'll see you next season. <laughs>